Today's scripture reading is going to come from two places. One out of Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to begin. So I invite you to turn over there with me. Luke chapter 24, looking at verse 44 through 49. And then we're going to turn over to Acts chapter 1 in just a minute. What I'm about to read to you is taking place after the death and resurrection of Jesus. His disciples had a hard time believing it, that he had truly been risen from the dead, until this encounter that he has had with them. And then Jesus speaks this wor- these words to, to them in Luke 24, verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay until the city, in, in the city until you have been clothed with, uh, with power on high. And the promise Jesus is referring to is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then when do the disciples receive the promised Holy Spirit? It happens in the book of Acts. And so turn over there with me to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to look at a few verses here as well. Starting in verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. Now this is taking a place again after the resurrection of Jesus. Right before and we will actually read about the ascension of Jesus. Which is where Jesus leaves this world to enter into glory in his father's presence. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Then they gathered around him, them being his disciples... Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. These are angels. And they said in verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back. He will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And as you are, we do have Kingdom Kids today. That's our ministry for kiddos who are four years old through second grade. And if you have any in that age group that want to participate in Kingdom Kids, they're going to have a great time learning and worshiping God at their level right next door in our education building. For now, till we get that started, then we'll find another place for them to meet, which is so exciting. And you can see our board here. We got it filled up. We praise God for the blessing because 
Our education space is our most used space. We use it Sunday morning for Sunday school. We use it Sunday during the service for Kingdom Kids. We use it Wednesday night for our children's ministry and our youth ministry. And uh, eventually when we get it remodeled, our children's ministry will be back over there. That's where our nursery is. So it's a, it's a very high-trafficked area, and it's going to be a real blessing to get that going. And it's going to help us uh, do a great job in ministry, continue to do a great job in ministry. Well, just to kind of set up what we just read, and then I want to pray, is for those who don't know, we are on a year-long Bible reading plan together. And I think I put my, we were short on Bible reading plans, so I put one that I had up there in the back. But you'll see it's a blue-covered Bible reading plan. If you've never read the Bible through before, this is a great introductory plan. It, It actually does skip over some chapters in the Bible, but it covers the vast majority of it. And it tells you what you need to read each day. And it's just three chapters. So it's, it's made to be an introductory plan, though, of course, you're reading the Bible. So that's good for everybody. doesn't matter if you're uh, new to it or not. But if you haven't jumped in on that, it's not too late. Yes, it's a month in, but don't worry. You just pick up that plan, pick up on today, and then get caught up as you can with the rest of the reading. And so what I have been sharing in the sermons and what I'll continue to do, except for special occasions like last week when we had our celebration service. But on most Sundays, I'll be preaching from some passage of scripture that we read the previous week as part of our Bible reading plan. And I wanted to begin uh, the Bible or the uh, preaching calendar and as it aligned with the Bible reading plan to talk about the big story of God. As we enter into reading God's word, which is transformative for our lives, it's helpful to have some idea what's this book that we're reading. What's it about? It's a lot of different books. It's letters. It's poems. It's songs. It's a, it's a, long, it's a big variety of things found in there. It's, it's an account of history. A lot of stuff happening in there, but what's the big story? Because the Bible as a whole, while it's a lot of different stories and a lot of different things happening, is telling one big story about God. And it can be broken into four chapters. Creation. God created all that there is. We see that in Genesis. Fall. Also found in Genesis, which is why we spent so much time in Genesis. Fall. Fall is when not fall is in a season, but fall is in when sin entered the world and Humanity fell under the spell of sin. Creation, fall, redemption. And we said redemption can be found right at the beginning of the Bible. Just as you can find creation and fall, you start to see the glimmers of hope and redemption. Where do we see that? Genesis 3.15, we read about the curse put on the serpent. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Which is a strange sentence. What is he talking about? Who's going to attack Satan and eventually destroy evil even though he himself, a son of Eve, would be struck? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one that was struck by death and yet he conquered death and destroyed sin and death forever. We see the hope of redemption in Genesis 12. It's the story of Abraham. He's the father of many nations, but before that he had no children. He and his wife Sarah had no kids. But God gave them a covenant promise. A covenant is an agreement, a binding agreement. 
that God made with Abraham. And he makes this promise in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Curse those who curse you. And then listen to this. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That's an incredible statement. And we believe that the promise that we find there is fulfilled in Jesus. That Jesus is the one that comes from a line of Abraham to be that blessing for the entire world. So we see here, even in Genesis, the hints are the hope of redemption. And today we're going to look at the fulfillment of that redemption that we found in Luke 24. And then we're going to look at the hope of restoration. The fulfillment of redemption and the hope of restoration. And what is restoration? But that God sends Christ into the world to make all things right again. Okay, that's a long intro. But that gets us to where we need to be. Let's pray together. And then we'll go a little bit further into these last two chapters of the big story of God. Father God, we come to you this morning in all different phases of life, seasons of life. God, I pray for those who are struggling. And I pray for those who are finding joy, but perhaps joy in the wrong places. Pray for those who have been faithful to you and perhaps are having a hard time continuing to remain faithful. God, we, each and every one of us, myself included, we, we need the help of your Holy Spirit to live out our part of your story that you have called us into. So God, I pray that as we hear from you, hear from your word, God, that our minds would be attentive to what you have to say to us, our ears will be open, ready to receive, our hearts will be soft, God, towards you, that we might feel your love and also feel your correction. And Father, that our hands and feet might be ready to leave from this place and put into action what you show us here today in your word. In all this we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. So, Why line it out this way? I think it's helpful. I didn't come up with this idea of the Bible being one big story that falls into creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Why line it up this way? Because we want to understand the big picture of the Bible, but we also want to understand we fit into that. We're a part of this story. God is weaving us into his story that took place, that began to take place as he created all that there is and will come to fruition one day when Christ returns and then we're into an eternity with him. He wants to call us into that story. And, and oftentimes we get so focused on what's happening right here, right now in my daily life that we don't see that we fit into the bigger and grander story of God. And it helps to know that we fit into that story of God because it gives purpose and meaning and direction to our life that we desperately need. Because there's, there's lots of people who have a plan for your life. Lots of people who know what you should be about and what you should be doing, what, what you should believe and what should make you anxious and what, what you should be driving for. There's, there, there's no end to the amount of people from advertising to pundits on TV to politicians to your own parents or teachers or whomever. Everybody's got some idea about how you should be living your life. 
And it can be very easy to get caught up in that and not realize God has called me into his story. He is writing a story and I am one of the characters in it. I'm a part of what God has been doing since the creation of the world. He's called me into this. So I'm part of creation. Sadly, I'm also a part of the fall. I would not have done any better than Adam and Eve. You take me, plant me in the garden with Eve, and I would have made the same mistakes. At some point, eventually, I would have blown it just like Adam did. Same goes for you. So I'm a part of the fall. I'm a part of the problem, the brokenness in the world. Me. Not just you. Not other people. Not people I don't like. Me. I'm a part of that. I'm a part of the fall that began in Genesis chapter 3. But thankfully, I know this chapter on redemption. And I get to say that is my story too. I'm a creation, I'm part of the creation made in the image of God. And though I'm marred by sin, I'm still valuable to God. So valuable to God that He would redeem me. He would buy me back from sin. My sin put a debt on me I could not pay. And Christ paid that debt for me. He said, I buy Him back. And He says the same thing about you. That chapter on redemption is my story and it's your story if we will enter into it. There was hope, even in Genesis, that redemption would come. They had seen that they had made a mess of things, and they wanted to know, is there forgiveness? Reminds me of a story when I was a kid. We lived in an old house with wooden floors, and they bounced. You ever been in a house like that? And uh, this was the kind of house that had a particular amount of bounce. Close to that of a trampoline. And so what we would hear, my brother and I in particular, who's a couple years older than me, what we would hear regularly is, don't run through the house. How many of you ever said that before? A few of you. How many of you ever heard that before? The rest of you? Okay. Don't run through the house. So what do we do almost every day? Ran through the house, right? And so one time he's chasing me or I'm chasing him. I can't remember. I'm the younger brother, so it's probably his fault. Uh, And so he's chasing me through the dining room where we have the china hutch and the dining room table. We run between the tiny, between the uh, china hut and the dining room table. We run through like a herd of buffalo right in between. What do you think happened? That china hutch bounced, fell over on top of the dining room table. All the dishes came crashing to the ground. They were my mother's wedding dishes, by the way. And I don't remember how it happened, but somehow I found myself underneath all that chaos, raining down. Because I think, I think we were running through, and I was on all four. I don't know, you know, kids. I was on all four, my brother chasing, and we were bouncing through, and it landed just at the right time. I remember this. Everything broken. And I felt terrible. I saw the mess I made, and I knew this is not fixable. You know, some things you break, you can fix. I, I, if I could go back, I would invest in crazy glue because I had no idea how much as a parent you would buy crazy glue. We, we should have stock in crazy glue. I would make a killing or at least I'd make my money back. You can put some stuff back together with some crazy glue. This was impossible. We shattered and broke so much that there was no fixing it. 
And maybe you've been there. Maybe it's not dishes. Maybe it's your life. You felt like you have broken it so bad that there's no amount of glue in the world that could put it back together. I wonder if that's something like what Adam and Eve felt in the garden when they see that their sin has created so much chaos. Did you know that they were kicked out of the garden? They could no longer live there, this perfect world that God created for them. You know, God walked through the garden in the cool of the day and, and, and had a presence and a relationship with Adam and Eve that we can only dream of. And, and that too was shattered. I mean, the most important and most beautiful things in their life ruined by sin. They could not fix it. All they had was this glimmer of hope. That someday someone will come along. Someone from the family of Adam and Eve. Who though they too will be damaged by the serpent. They will overcome the serpent. And who knows how much longer. But Abraham and Sarah held on to a similar hope. That from them someone would come along. And they would bless the entire world. In other words. Redemption is coming. But the sweetness of redemption is only as sweet as the bitterness of our failure. Like we have to know how bad things are before we can see the goodness of God. And we might be redeemed from evil, from sin, from that which is within. How do we have any outlook for the future? Hope of redemption. It's in Christ. Now, if the disciples believe that, it explains a lot about their reaction. Jesus had been telling them, look, I'm coming back. I'm going to have to die, but it will not be the end. And then when it happens, the disciples are disillusioned. They have been hoping that Jesus was the one. The one that came From the promise of Abraham in Genesis 12. The one you could see the hints of. And even in the midst of a curse in Genesis 3. Like Jesus is the guy. He's the the one we've been hoping for. He's the Messiah. The Christ. The anointed one of God. He's the one who can redeem. He's the one that can fix this problem. That the world has with sin. He's the one that can do it. To see him die in such an ugly way, a crucifix or on a cross. This is a Roman torture device. We know that. It was very public. It was meant to shame criminals that they may not cross Rome again. Or, or others may learn from their mistake and not follow their path into thumbing their noses at Rome. To see him die like that. Just imagine to hear, to to know that things are so bad. All the dishes are busted, there's nothing you can do. To hear that there's hope, that maybe it could be fixed. And to see the one in whom you had hoped could fix the problem die. And when I think about it like that, I have a lot more compassion for the disciples. You know, sometimes we read about the disciples and we think, how could they be so So foolish or so stupid. How could they not see the bigger picture? Because they were in the middle of it. You know how it is. Hindsight is 20-20. But when you're in the middle of it, 
It's hard to know. It's hard to see. It's hard to be sure. And so they're in the middle of it and they're doubting what they had heard. The women had already gone to the tomb, found the tomb empty and heard the promise of the angels at the tomb that Jesus is not here He is risen. The women went back to the other disciples and told them that. And the other disciples said, this seems foolish to us. So anytime you may hear something about, you know, well, back then they believed in superstitious stuff like people could rise from the dead. Just read the New Testament. They were as shocked and as disbelieving as anyone would be today. Any critic of Christianity would be today. I don't think that could happen. And they saw all that Jesus did. They saw Jesus raise people from the dead. And they still had a hard time believing that Christ himself rose from the dead. So here they are. They have now had an encounter with Jesus. They're talking about what's going on. And Jesus just shows up in the midst of them in Luke 24. Jesus gives them the promise. He says, look, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look, I, I'm, I, you can still see the wounds. They think he's a ghost. And he says, okay, well, bring me some fish. Ghosts don't eat. And he eats. You know what's interesting about that, though? Jesus doesn't say there isn't such a thing as ghosts. Take that home and think about that, okay? He says, he says they, it says in the Bible, they think he's a ghost. And he says, I'm not a ghost. He doesn't say, there's no such thing as a ghost. That's just an aside. Have fun with that. But, but what, what Jesus does say, he says, he says, bring me a fish. I'll prove it. Because ghosts don't eat. You've seen Ghostbusters. It just falls right through. Right? And so he eats and he's, he's just proving to them that I, they, he, they needed that. That's the incredible thing. Is they could not believe that this was true. Because remember, the hopes are high for redemption. It's something that was so broken that there was only one that they believed could fix it. It was Jesus, and now Jesus is dead. Even though he, they had been told that he would die and rise, they find themselves in this incredible position, and they just cannot believe their eyes. It's so incredible to them, they can't believe it. And Jesus unpacks for them. That that which was written in the Old Testament. Remember what I read in verse 44 of Luke 24? Everything written about me, Jesus says, from the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, they had to be fulfilled. Now what's that saying? It's saying all the Old Testament is telling one big story, pointing to that one day there would be a Christ or Messiah. Both mean the anointed one. Both meaning that someone chosen by God to carry out the mission of redemption. Someone who could fix the curses of Genesis 3 has arrived. The Old Testament have been promising that. And now here I am. He says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. What is the redemption? Verse 47, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will soon be preached, of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. This is the redemption. And Jesus is saying, what you heard about in the Old Testament, what what the prophets and the Psalms talked about, What the law of Moses talked about is fulfilled in me. The hope of redemption, the promised redemption, is now fulfilled in me. 
And we're part of that story. The question to us, of course, is, are we part of the redeemed? Are we those who, as Jesus says, have experienced forgiveness for our sins through repentance? I never assume that all of us are in that boat. But it's so easy to get in. How do we become part of the redeemed? Our sins have put on us a debt we could not pay. To be redeemed means to be bought back from that debt of sin. Can we do it ourselves? Can we possibly earn our way into the right standing of God as sons and daughters of His? We cannot. In fact, it's a really easy way to figure out if you can or can't. Try to live perfect for one day. How many of you have woke up in the morning and said, you know, I really blew it yesterday? Today's the day. I'm going to try so super hard to be so super good. And at the end of the day, praise God, for 24 hours, I'm going to be perfect. Now, thank goodness, somewhere between 6 and 10 hours of that is sleep. So we get a break there. But the rest of those waking hours, just try really hard to be perfect. I've tried it. I failed. Try to do it for half a day. Half of your waking hours. How about eight hours a day? How about just the working day? How about for, you know, the lunch hour? When you really start to think about how hard it is to be good, you start to realize that to think that I could ever be good enough is foolish. That's the beauty of redemption. And Christ is Jesus being good enough for us. That's the beauty of the gospel. Is that God sees that we can never be good enough. And so he comes and is good enough for us. So when we believe that Jesus lived the life we should have lived. And died the death we should have died. Then you know what God says? He says you're in. You're part of the family. And because we didn't earn our way in. We cannot sin our way out. We're part of the family now and forever. We have been redeemed. We have been bought back. The receipt is in God's pocket. He knows that we are His. This is great news. Even so, living in this world can be hard, can it? Living in this world that is still broken by sin. Living in this body that's still marred by sin. Knowing that though I'm redeemed, I continue to mess up. And make mistakes that I wish I could take back. Where is the hope in that? Disciples had a particular outlook with Jesus that Jesus was not only this uh, suffering servant talked about in Isaiah 53, though I don't know that they put that all together right away at least, but they understood he suffered for humanity and died for sins. Jesus explained that at the end of Luke. Luke was written by a guy named Luke. You probably could have guessed that already. Uh, Luke was a Gentile, meaning he wasn't a Jewish person. He was a physician and he had recorded the history of Jesus and his disciples and become a Jesus, uh, a disciple of Jesus. And he wrote not only the gospel of Luke, but he follows it up with Acts. Acts is actually written by Luke as well. And so Luke now has written Luke and Acts and he ends Luke 24 the way we just read it with Jesus talking about who he is and what he's done. And then we get to Acts. And in Acts, you see that the disciples are still a little bit confused because they don't quite understand. They they get redemption now. But what about chapter 4, restoration? 
What about what's to come? What about ending all this suffering and all this difficulty in the world? What about, what about ending death once and for all? How about that stuff? What about ending the persecution that they were experiencing from their Roman oppressors? What about that? What about the bullies? What about those who are causing problems for God's people? What about that stuff? What about being in charge of our own lives and our own country and our own kingdom with Jesus at the head of it? See, this is the stuff they were thinking about. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. That means death couldn't hold him down. And if you are king of death, sin and death, and you're the author of life, You're the greatest being there ever was. So you're in charge now. Let's let's get going. Let's make this world right. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. But let's do it perfectly. Now what they actually said was. (laughs) Hidden within these words. All that I said. But what they actually said is. Lord. Verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. Are you at this time going to restore The kingdom to Israel. Are you going to make everything right? Is chapter 3 close and chapter 4 now begun? And Jesus says, in effect, chapter 4 God knows all about. The Father's got his own timetable for that. It's not for me and you to know the day. But he makes it clear when Christ comes back, then chapter 4 finds its fulfillment. What does that mean for us? Well, for us, we feel the aches and pains, the groans, the desire to see chapter 4 fulfilled, don't we? Don't you look out in the world and see the suffering? Look within your own self and see the heartache. Don't you want it to be perfect and right? Don't you want everything to be made right? Like it was in the garden before sin entered in. Did you ever just wake up and long for that? You watch it on the news. You get texts from your friends and what they're going through. Or you're struggling yourself and you just say, I want this to be right. I I just want heaven on earth. I desire for things to be made perfect in this ugly, broken, sinful world. I want that restoration project to begin. I want us to get back to Eden the way it should have been. And only was for a little while. That's what I wish for. And in some way, in their own way, the disciples are wishing for that too. And Jesus says, that day's coming. When I return, it's coming. But we're not there yet. It is in God's timing. But there's something about hoping for that future that is really, really helpful. Reminds me of an illustration about workers in a widget factory. I've shared this before. But you imagine a worker in a widget factory and they just stand at the factory widget line and they put together the widgets one after another, one after another, one after another. Very redundant, very tiring, standing on your feet. Not a very exciting uh, career path. You got two workers. One is told at the beginning of the day, look, at the end of the day, you're going to receive a paycheck for a million dollars. The other worker, not knowing this, is told at the end of the day, you're going to get your paycheck. It's going to be $100. Now, how do you imagine those two workers might go about their work of putting the widgets together in the widget factory? Now, it's a tiring, boring, 
could feel like a pointless kind of job. And you see it as mundane and it doesn't pay that great. But the other, knowing what is to come, this enormous payday that is surely beyond what they had earned. I mean, that's a, you could see them coming in whistling while they worked, right? What a, what a great day to come in and put together these widgets in this widget factory on this beautiful day. How great it is to be in this gloomy factory and do this boring job while I stand on my feet and get exhausted for 8, 10, 12 hours today. It is a great day to be alive. If I knew that's the payday that's coming, then oh, what joy I would have here and now, even when it seems pointless, gloomy, dark, boring, low pay, whatever it might be. There's something about that hope for what is to come that is going to be beyond our wildest imagination that gives us joy in the present. And that is the power of the promise of the fourth chapter of the Bible. That restoration is coming. 1 Corinthians 15 lays out for us what resurrection meant. And that one day, even our bodies will be resurrected. Made perfect, fit for heaven. The whole world's going to be resurrected. What was dead will come alive. And then we find a picture of restoration beautifully written out in Revelation 21. John, who was one of those disciples who had followed Jesus and loved Jesus and wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in Revelation... He got this vision of restoration. What is to come? He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. When God's with us, John saw that Verse 4 of Revelation 21, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He says there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. And He who is seated on the throne, that King Jesus, says, I am making everything new. And I got to tell you, every time I read that, I think I can't wait. That is... Restoration. That is the future. That's what we have in front of us. And there's something about knowing that. That on the darkest of days, on those sad days, those bad days, those ugly days, I know everything about those kinds of days will become undone. And there will be days of joy and goodness and beauty that will never end. Likewise, on those really great days, I think this is just a taste of what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be even better than this fantastic day. You see, the hope of restoration provides for us joy in the present. Now, we don't get there without being redeemed first. First comes a recognition I'm made in the image of God. That image is marred by sin. But there is hope for me to be redeemed in Christ. And once I have that hope of redemption, I have the hope of glory, the hope of heaven, 
the hope of restoration, the hope of perfection, that one day it is to come at Christ's return. And because one day it is to come, I know it's ahead of me, though I'm standing here at the conveyor belt and I'm doing my part and the days can be long and exhausting and the pay may be low, I know what's at the end of the day. That Christ's coming, eternal hope, is mine because of Jesus. I am part of this creation, made in the image of God. Yes, marred by sin, but bought by the blood of Jesus, I am redeemed. And every day gets me closer to the day of, re- of beautiful and powerful restoration in Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you've given us the Bible, that you speak to us through it. Because we long to hear from you, God. We want to hear your voice. We want you to speak into our lives. And you do that primarily through the scriptures. And and God, we see in here this big story of who you are and what you've done. And who we are and what we've done. and, And we feel the hope of glory, of restoration. And we thank you for that hope that you've given us that can only be ours because of Jesus. God, I pray here this morning for those who have not been yet redeemed. Those who may be struggling to be good enough or those who are fearful they'll never be good enough and that there is no hope. God, for those who don't know that today they would know that they are loved by you, that Christ died for them. And by simply placing their faith in him, that they may have life eternal. For those of us who have believed that, God, you know that there's so many stories represented in these pews today. You know know what's going on in our lives. The good, the bad, the ugly, you know exactly what's happening. What What we're thinking this very second is known to you. And God, I I believe each of us need that hope of, of... restoration that you're going to set things right even when things seem so wrong right now in our lives you are going to make things right one day you are actively working on our behalf for our good for that day and while we wait God may we cling to what we know of you that you are our good God who has given us the very best thing Jesus himself. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me for our invitation. If you need prayer this morning, I invite you to come forward. I'd love to pray with you. I'll stand down front. You can pray where you're at. You can come to the front and pray at the steps, however the Lord leads. Don't leave this place today without talking to him about what he has spoken to you through our worship service today. Let's sing together.